Oh la la. Oh yeah. People like games. Welcome to the show, uh, everybody. Today we have a very special guest. We have Martin Saline uh, of Coldwood Studio and the creator of Unravel. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, uh, nice to be here. Very excited. I, I absolutely loved um, Unravel uh, and Unravel 2. I actually uh, played the second one with my girlfriend all the way through. So. Uh, wonderful co-op game, wonderful experience. Um, and let's uh, let's let's uh, jump right into it with some gaming questions. And so, I know as someone who works in video games, you do not have the most time to be playing them because <laughs> I'm sure everybody asks you that all the time. But with the time that you do have, what is uh, the game that you're playing most right now? Uh, I think that's interesting, actually, because everyone always said that I don't have time to play games. I have all the time to play games, but I, I just do other stuff. <laughs> um, like um, climbing is my game now. I've spent the entire summer just climbing, um, going around everywhere uh, in the countryside around here, finding interesting things to climb. So that's why I don't have time to play video games, not because of work, because I do other stuff. Um, well does but, the other uh, things inform it in a similar way like so i mean you know, it's kind you... of video gaming in a way definitely like problem solving and all that stuff but uh, I, I guess the, the the video game i've been playing i um i tried the assassin's creed one valhalla mm -hmm. didn't particularly like it uh but now i i just realized that Oh, actually, I'm wearing the shirt. I kickstarted, or not kickstarted, some other thing, crowdfunded, uh, Psychonauts. Nice. Uh, so I'm going to download that tonight and try that. Psychonauts so too. Yeah. yeah. We just actually did uh, a little episode on it, so there's a super interesting story behind that as well. Um, do you have, uh, like, a particular creator um, that is in the industry that you're a big fan of their work so say like that'd be like said tim schaefer does anyone's name come up in particular uh behind the game that you're like oh psychonauts 2 looks great but, or as someone who's also a creative director you're like oh yes my my fellow directors of course <laughs> uh, i mean i don't know actually i mean uh, i guess i'm sort of i used to be a uh, uh really big fan of everything that game, that game company did um and I'm also like um uh, uh just like all the shadow of the colossus uh stuff from back in the days um so i was always like following what those people were doing uh for a while but i, I don't know i guess i'm i'm, I'm just not like as Waste tied into, into the in industry yeah. <laughs> well that, that that's a very uh interesting one because that that was actually going to be one of my questions well which was uh so if someone is not waist deep in gaming everyone i've talked to has sort of made a life of it right mm -hmm. what is it about video games that make you prefer them to other mediums or say are you a fan of film instead however the ability mm -hmm. to do something more interactive in gaming is why you do it as a career per se which is doesn't make it you know what i mean yeah uh i think it's uh the unrealized potential is is kind of the the, the big draw for me I, I think that that um games have this potential to just really really 
connect with people and just uh, foster empathy, all these things. Like, because you're actively participating in it, you're not just consuming media, uh, that, like, could create a deeper understanding, like, uh, mm -hmm. could, uh, like, create deeper emotional responses with people. And, and I think that maybe it isn't really done as much as it should be or mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I think there's room for more and i think that's why games are interesting to me i think they could do more than what they are doing uh, well, yeah, that, that's 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 an interesting question because i actually went back and watched some of of your interviews so as not to be a little bit redundant and i thought one of the more interesting things that you mentioned was um creating games to create purpose and meaning um, and create a more, a deeper connection with mm. uh, the player. So uh, whoever's watching this and listening to this, you'll see some of the unravel game footage going in. Um, now, how do you create a deeper connection uh, through that game? Do you think it has to be, because I remember you mentioned gameplay being more like an interesting automated portion of it that's fun in and of itself then do you mm. build the story around the gameplay mechanism and do you have like a, a disconnect you're trying to overcome how have you approached trying to maybe overcome some of those is it narratively is it through mechanics mm. is it through cooperative you know functions like what you did in unravel yeah. 2. i think i think unravel 2 is a pretty good example of just trying to convey emotion through uh through gameplay and features because that whole thing about being constantly connected to someone and have that other someone be like your most fun toy but also your most trusted lifeline is 100%. kind of something that i think worked out really well but like it, it, it's supposed to be a game about just being completely wrecked and then restarting and rebooting and trying to just like form a new bond with someone. Uh, and I, I think that that's sort of landed pretty well. Uh, Absolutely. You kind of get Absolutely. that sense that it's like, it's it's really fun to play with each other, but you also always have that safety of a, of a buddy that can save you if you fall. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and the amount of times I'd be like jumping somewhere, I'm like, I'm gonna fall. And it just stops there because you're still connected. And some of the sort of like, um, mm. the restringing in mechanic was super useful. Um, a lot of times, but, um, so then, you know, then just to build off of that question, secondly, you mentioned the narrative and the stories and mm. the manner in which you prefer a more subjective version of storytelling, where you don't say lay out the entirety of what you're trying to do. You allow the environment and the interactions to do the storytelling. Mm. One, are you a postmodernist? And two, uh, joke side uh do you think it's a bit more difficult to create that deeper connection if the story is subjective and left to like the 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 player or the listeners or like a movie that ends you know on the like inception if this is a spoiler for anyone if you've seen the ending does that create a deeper connection or does that cut short the connection because people want to be led to a story mm. ending yeah i, I think a big part of it is that in video games, you can't count on a friendly audience. 
like mm. when you're consuming other types of media if you're reading a book or watching a film or whatever you're like you're into it you're you're expecting the story that's why you're there that's why that, mm -hmm. that's why you came uh and so so you have a very receptive like friendly audience that mm -hmm. they they want to go on this journey that you're taking them on but in a video game you don't know that that's the case they might be uh, but they also might not be i think the the one of the one of the most like clear examples of that i can think of was when we were trying a bunch of vr games in uh, the office uh, a couple of years ago and whenever there's a cutscene in a vr game but you still have control invariably people do stupid things Mm -hmm. So there was this game, there was like some kind of cool gangster thing, which like Godfather set up with a big desk with a big important mafioso talking about cool stuff. And meanwhile, someone's trying to poke him in the eye with a cigar because mm -hmm. that's what you can do when you have control and people like doing stupid things. 100%. So like you can't count on the audience being with you. And, and, and that's why I like to just put the story hooks there so that people... Mm can seek them out if they want to but if they don't want to uh they don't get in the way and and also like you never wind up in the situation where, where everything just feels stupid because people are goofing around but the story is trying to be serious and there's just this clash and and just ends up wrong so that's why i like uh, a more like subdued uh, version of storytelling do you find um even from your experience any particular games types whether it's a, a platformer or an open world uh is more amenable to that sort of connect because because you were right because i was going to actually ask if if that was when i was writing some questions down yesterday whether you whether you thought open world games were able to do that same sort of connection but as someone who's playing ghost of tsushima right now it's a little tough because like you said in the middle of the game i could run around do all these silly things throughout the, but then when the storyline goes in it sort of uh, it, it automatically handholds you through the motion, right? Mm. You, you you cut it off, and now it started the cutscene, and now the cutscene mm. we do in. But like you said, the immersion does break the second that cutscene ends, and I'm back here in my open world, and I can just go around slashing random things. Mm. Um, do you find maybe, as you said, subtle? Do you find the size of the game or the type of game to be effective of that as well? I mean, I. I... I guess there must be one, some reason why all the sort of uh, uh, clever indie story games are platformers. <laughs> but, you know. But then again, I don't think that it's, it's that there's necessarily any kind of limit for the format. Uh, I by think. Least resources. Yeah. Uh, I think there's stuff like a short hike. For instance which is more like an open world game uh but still like has this great mood and and just atmosphere and that's a good example of, of that doesn't have to be a platformer necessarily mm -hmm. to just uh be nice um, do you find vr like you were mentioning um you know the, that's supposed to be a push into immersion 
Uh, do you find that to be maybe the next stepping stone in the storytelling in games that you were searching for? With your smile, <laughs> with that, I, I feel like that's a, <laughs> uh, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this is this is the type of thing that you're probably not supposed to say like business-wise, but personally, I hate VR. I think it's terrible. It's awful. It's everything that I don't want. The, the thing that's is, funny. Like, I have an Oculus sitting here, and it, 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 there's certain parts of it that are interesting, but I didn't see the game aspect yeah I, I think absolutely uh I, I for me it's like i don't even like first person games i like mm. having a character that i can connect with i like having something that anchors me in the game i don't like being just a camera i don't so like if, being if the anchoring is done would you do you not lose interest because people want that first person because they want to be the character they don't want to choose even if it is even with the customizable character, they're seeing someone, they're like, well, that's not me. And then yeah, we're supposed I, to fix I, that. I get, I get why people, and I, I think uh, maybe it's just something that's just fundamentally different about how different people just work. But for me, it's the exact opposite. Like, I don't want to be myself because I'm myself all the time. I want to be someone completely different. Um, and I And I connect more with the, the character if I can see it. Uh, and also, like as a as a game developer, I think it's like I can communicate things through the character. I can communicate how that character feels by just by how it moves, by how it looks. I don't need the cutscene where it speaks. I don't need text. I don't need anyone to tell me because you can immediately see that the the character is scared if it moves like it's scared. Uh, absolutely uh that that actually gave me one of the questions uh i also had which is what you're saying the body movement and the design um so for the character yarny which incredible character i don't even know where you would have begun to sort of dream that up but um when you were uh putting together one of the things was how simplified and how, how minimalistic the design was and the question of trying to relay emotions um, do you still think that keeping the design minimal and focusing on those body languages was better? Or if you had maybe added voices or something of that manner, it, it, that response of yours remind me a bit of the, the creator of, uh, of Calvin and Hobbes. If you're familiar, the comic, mm -hmm. he, he never, he never wanted a plushie of Hobbes to be created because he's like, you, you'll ruin the, 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 the fantasy of it. It's supposed to be an imaginary thing. Did you feel like? A version of that when you're putting together no if we put, add too many features you're going to take away the sort of magic of this character mm. yeah absolutely and there was a lot of discussion about that there was a heated discussion about that but i was quite adamant that less really is more in this case uh, because there was just like how can we express things when i don't know when when they don't speak uh, um, and all kinds of discussion about all kinds of things, but I've always felt that we we should stick with the the, the simple things. And uh, I, I guess in in some ways it's about also like choosing your battles. Okay. Like you pick the things that you know that you can do well instead of trying to do all the things. Uh, so that's actually that that's one side of it. But then there's also just this whole thing about. People love mystery. People love not having all the answers given to them, but feeling like they can find the answers if they go looking for them. Um, so that's why it, it just resonates more with people when the character doesn't give everything away right away. 
Um, Absolutely. Um, and, it, and it also feels like whatever you see there becomes more yours. Like it's up to you how you interpret it. And, and it just feels more genuine that way. Um, it becomes more more of a direct connection um, to to the to the character, mm. and so then um, then as you but I also there, there's there's definitely like the kind of uncanny valley thing as well. Like if if you do some if the more you do, the better you have to do it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so I mean, but there's also the uh, what what's the the line between uh, you know basic and streamlined sophistication in in you know minimalist etc so it so then it, you said like you know so now you have this um minimalistic character that you've created right and you have this sort of vision now now you want to tell the story through the backdrops and the environment now how does that get constructed on the top because i do have a, a gameplay about the question but say now you have your character what was the first thought process of okay i want to do something with the real world uh, background or, or environment mm. and how, how did that how did those two pieces connect because i know you were in the woods when you were sort of putting together yarny when you're taking the pictures and now mm. you're a climber as well it was all of those inspirations sort of no i want a real world aesthetic here even though yarny is a bit fantastical of a creature yeah uh i think it was there was a it was a weird design uh process because it was led by uh, uh, I like to say karma sometimes. It, it was very intuitive. Uh, so what I did was basically, since the whole process started like that, I wanted it to continue like that. To just go with whatever felt right and pick the things that felt inspiring. And I think one of the things that made that initial burst of creativity so good was that it was this sounds corny but it was surrounded by love in a way like totally. i was out there with my family and i was in a place that uh i think is really beautiful and that i love going to and like you're in that environment that means something to you and you're with people means something to you and that makes you feel good about what you're creating so i felt like the whole thing should be about picking things that are actually like important to us and trying to build off of that uh, so that's why like all the scenery is not necessarily trying to depict real places but they're trying to portray how a lot of real places feel to us Absolutely. so we were essentially just um you know picking memories uh nice memories difficult memories but important memories and Absolutely. weaving a story out of that so i i, I created this this fictional character this old woman and figured that the whole game is essentially going through her memories and, and sorting her stuff up for for the first time whole game anyway um, absolutely because the, i was saying the second one sort of like a, a series of vignettes related to exactly what you were saying which are different pictures mm. of memories sort of like a, a passing feeling so you're sort of running through their memories mm. in the background while they're sort of up front so you, you can take that context in if you're paying attention but it's not going to tell you hey look at what's happening over here mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you evolved it into, you know, like you were saying, that story. How, how did you focus on evolving the, the story for the second one? Or was it sort of, hey, let's just do 
like you said, uh, more, more of the same, better, right? You know how it is when you do something incredible, everyone's like, that's amazing. Do it again, but better. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a difficult one. The, the thing is, uh, uh, I was in a terrible place after the first one. <laughs> um, how, how did that work of a lot of things? That? Yeah. What? How did the work of love lead, lead to that? You're like, I love this project. It was awful when it ended. <laughs> uh, it was, there was a lot of things. It was exhausting because I was pulling a lot from myself. Uh, and it was also exhausting because a lot of personal stuff happened. Uh, and it was just like a perfect storm of, uh, being overworked and exhausted and depressed and just really, really struggling with absolutely everything. Uh, so I was yeah, crushed uh, by the end of the first uh, game. Actually, it was, it was quite interesting because um, we announced it about nine months or so before we released it. Mm -hmm. And I think those nine, nine months were, were crucial to me because it was such a mood boost. Um, because on some level, I, I knew before we showed it that the game was good. Yeah, I, I wasn't worried about showing it off because I knew that mm -hmm. it, like people would like it. But I hadn't really anticipated just how much people would like it and how uh, enthusiastic and friendly and, and just like great people would be about it. Um, how much pressure so, did that add? Uh, no pressure. Just just um, it just kept me going. Absolutely. Uh, so that's why the story in Unravel 2 is basically about a reboot. Like, even though you're completely destroyed, you start off the game uh, adrift in a storm with all your bonds torn and you're alone and you're messed up and there's you are crushed. Uh, but then all it takes is like a little spark to get going again. And then like you can make new bonds, make new friends. So Absolutely. that was like... It wasn't really that important to try to ramp up the quality or whatever. I wasn't really into that that's that much. That the only thing I wanted to do was just tell that story that no matter how dark things get, you can still re <laughs> re uh, turn the lights back on. <laughs> Nothing is permanently broken. The uh, the little yeah. ending photo, I, absolutely beautiful. Very poetic, um, which I could earlier say, I was like, if you're not wasting video games, do you think poetry, uh, literature, or film is the best means of storytelling for you personally? Uh, I think they all have their merits. Uh, I like that. I like I'm that into answer. all of them. <laughs> exactly. So if you guys are waiting for a good answer on that one, there it is. Um, but joke aside, um, now to the, the mechanics of the gameplay, did, did you have to um, evolve? Actually, firstly, what was the inspiration? Because you said you wanted a singular gameplay mechanic that's sort of interesting and fun and really smooth. And in this case, it was a string and the swinging for Unravel and then Unravel 2. But 
was it or how much was that uh, swinging uh, mechanic inspired by Spider-Man 2, the game? Uh, not at all, actually. I, I think it's just common sense that grappling hooks are fun. Yeah, it's super fun. So, I was playing it. I was like, like, so it, did he play Spider-Man? Like the, the, <laughs> the first rule of video games, like get a grappling hook. Absolutely. Quick movement and the, the fluidity of it. So I, I told myself yeah, I would ask that. For me, it's it's very much about uh, you can't have the feeling of lightness without a feeling of weight. Yeah. And you want the feeling of lightness. But and, and I think just like the, the swinging thing is just like the perfect sort of the way to communicate that. I think uh, I, Journey is one of my favorite games just control wise. Because it has this, like you can fly, but you're not weightless. Mm -hmm. Because if you were weightless, then the flying would be meaningless. But now when you're sliding down a hill and then you just launch and you just keep each other going by singing to each other so you can just extend your airtime as much as possible. Like, like it's wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that feeling that exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that was the first time I actually felt in the God of War game uh, when you throw the axe. I don't know if you've played it. Um, mm -hmm. you feel it and so even now with haptic feedback I feel like that would be a great opportunity if, if their studio in the future ends up in in that sort of space to definitely try to take advantage of that because I couldn't mm. I feel like that'd be super interesting um, and then I guess now just even related to that how did you evolve uh, the gameplay for singular to co-op because to mm. a degree you don't need you do and you don't need two people yeah if you're playing uh, multiplayer it was, it, to begin with, like the, the initial pitch for Unravel 2 was super dark. <laughs> it was incredibly dark uh, because it was essentially supposed to be like uh, at first, uh, like a commentary on how the world fucking sucks when you're alone. It's true. So, so it would basically basically be, be terrible uh, uh, when you were playing by yourself, and then kind of fun uh, when you were connecting with someone else. You're like overcooked. Um, uh, <laughs> but then we realized that uh, it was really hard to do online multiplayer, so we didn't do that. Like the, the, the initial thing was to try to build lasting bonds, to try to find people online that you actually like uh, could develop that playfulness and trust with. Uh, so it was uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> It was like a Tinder analogy. I yeah, I was going to say, I was like, all night co-op in that game would have been hilarious because of how much you have to be like connected with the other person, especially on the movements. Did yeah. you guys try it for like a day or two and you're like, no, it's going to lead to a lot of rage. We can't. We, we, pretty, we, we realized pretty soon that, okay, this is going to be a nightmare. Uh, so then we just figured just how can we still keep that connection part and, and, um, make it meaningful and then it turned out that it's like it's 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 a co-op co game even if you play it to play yourself yeah pretty so, much yeah yeah playing with your other side both sides of your brain if you're playing by yourself yeah. um which uh does make me think what was the like most uh difficult thing to actually implement whether it's mechanically whether it's visually whether it's marketing finding them are like what was the most difficult part of uh, the game and the one that when you guys executed or when the team executed mm -hmm. was super excited. like yes i didn't think we'd manage this but 
look at us. We got yeah. both these stringy think, people in. I think that's an interesting question, but I also so I have to give a disappointing answer because I think I think a lot of times that I don't know if it's like this at all studios, but I think uh, I suspect that it might be because a lot of times it's not that you like you work towards the goal, you work towards the goal, and then you meet the goal and it's fireworks. It's more like you're constantly working on something and then things get gradually more and more like less and less shit <laughs> yeah, along the 100%. journey uh what was so, the... so there's there it's it's difficult to get to those points where it feels like yeah we nailed it uh until you, the game you, you is actually the patchwork shit. you have the patchwork framework of course because you have the sort of lateral you know but what was the one thing where you're like even the minimalist you're like i'm gonna mm. drag this to the finish line and we're going to make this happen. And when you guys do it, you're like, it might not have been necessary to do it, but we were going to do it as a team because we wanted to. So it's not like the, the end of the celebration, but even one of the, the side pivots that you guys are. Yeah, like, absolutely. But, um, but I mean, the, the obvious answer is like all the, all the yarn mechanics, because all the physics that go on there are, are, yeah, uh, gonna say. So that, that was, that was fancy. Um, uh, our lead programmer, Jacob is, um, very good at that stuff. Um, also, where it begins. very relieved for the second game that we didn't have to do a yarn that was like a mile long. <laughs> we only have about one screen of yarn, but that's still uh, super complex when like all the different edge cases, when it's wrapped around things and one is climbing on it and the other one is trying to run away. And it's just that there's so much going on with the yarn that's... Uh, I'm very impressed that it's turned out as well as it did. What the, it, it just looks real. The physics of the movements of the yarn of everything about it is just it's incredible. Um, especially you know for a smaller studio. Um, I guess now is sort of start getting towards the end of these questions for you as well. Um, what as an independent developer, I know you had a lot of backing from EA early on. Um, mm. I guess my more inquiry, I guess even not even how do you get the backing of a big studio like that? Um, what is it about, you know, the Sweden, Norway area, because I had the chance to speak with Ingo Hopin as well on the show that creates so many um, game developers. And, you know, it's a very focused industry out there or a growing one. Mm. Um, and not only that, all of the games tend to take a more artistic and and personal sort of scale in mm. their executions where they're visually stunning normally and they have platformer mechanics is there something in the water out in those nordic countries but you know but actually you uh, know, what, is it a, yeah, a cultural think, thing uh i think it's a it's a multi-layer answer but i think part of it is uh it lies pretty far back uh like when I was a kid, I'm old, but when I was a kid, my mom, uh, she used to work for a while with this uh, in this government program uh, where essentially the Swedish government decided that we think home computers are going to be a thing and we want people to have home computers. And they, this was like 80s, so most people didn't. Uh, so they created all these like subsidies that made computers cheaper and they had like places where you could go to try on computers just so that people could see that they are kind of cool and my mom worked in one of those uh actually our old office was just next door to that place so i could remember like going there when i was seven years old and just like trying to draw with mac paint on the first like original macintosh uh, 
And I think that sort of created, like that, that laid the foundation for future generations of people who have just like always grown up with computers. And we invested quite heavily in infrastructure so that, that like people had internet early on, like good internet early on. Absolutely. So there's always been this sense that, you know, computers are cool and you can do cool things with them. Uh, and, and it's access for everyone as well. So that you don't have to be like rich to get the good stuff, but you, it's it's achievable. Um, yeah, and I think that laid a very very good foundation. And then I think more recently we have these kind of creative hubs. Like we have like in young shopping, you have a school that's very good. So you have a lot of like young people with crazy ideas uh, and who just want to do cool stuff. Um, so I, I think it's just. It's that and, and like a general just kind of when you live in a small and sort of remote place, I, I guess you get used to doing stuff yourself. 100%. Like uh, like we had a, a pretty fun uh, music scene here in my city, like a while ago when I was younger anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that was fun. essentially like no bands are ever going to come here and play. So we're going to have to play ourselves. 100%. Uh, and I think that sort of mentality carries over to games as well. That just like, well, no one's going to do it for us, so let's just do it ourselves. Absolutely, and I think you know, even as you're saying that access to the technology on the earlier end and sort of opening it up to uh, everybody, and not making it a rich versus poor thing. Because here in America, mm. there is much more of a division socioeconomically when it comes to technology especially technology over here mm. which is like no one really gets access to it early especially in game development um but that does, it makes more sense i feel like a lot of that uh you know the government grants programs etc allow companies to exist um and do things uh mm. to find that market to find that big studio that's like hey i, I think what you're working on is interesting uh that mm. hopefully we can do sometime soon um here in america but now wrapping it up to the end, um, because I know you have extra time, but also, you know, I've already taken up a lot of yours. Um, do you have a mobile version of the game coming out anytime soon, or have you found that it is not touch mechanics oriented, or are you just going to let them do it uh, over at Xbox? I would love to, honestly. The, the The problem with being a fairly small studio who's working on their own tech all the time is mm. that... Uh, whatever isn't the thing that we're currently working on it's like it's for the future <laughs> you, you can't you, I, it would take us days to just get the old game running uh, and then there's just like not enough people to just um fiddle with it and, and try to make it work uh personally i think it's, it's like we're at the stage with mobile devices where you can actually make games that look good and play well. And, and just like, I mean, you connect any kind of controller to uh, an iPad and, and just. Absolutely. So you could play Unravel 2 on mobile here through the X cloud and the F so yeah. you could use, but you're still using the controller, but yeah. it is, you know, coming to mobile in a way that makes a lot of sense when it comes to studio. Yeah. Um, but our... personally, like, I, I think my, my philosophy is that I, I love it when people, when everyone plays games. Like one of the one of the things that I'm most pleased about with Unravel is hearing like, I don't know, my friend's neighbor who's a 60 year old lady got a PlayStation so she could play Unravel. <laughs> That's yeah. like, how cool is that? Uh, uh, it, it's 
you know, it opens up new dynamics, uh, yeah. new, new, new people. Um, and that's the best because anyone again, and I would agree. And that's why I, I love it. So I love the chance to speak to someone who created a game like that, like you, because I could be like, Hey, new call of duties out that I'm like, yeah, but there's a market for it. There's a particular person they're going for is not trying to expand outwards into finding mm. people who could be touched by this medium, like you said, but maybe aren't being found. Um, mm. Uh, I guess, are you guys working on anything new over at your studio? Is there an Unravel 3 coming out? Uh, I mean, we're always working on something, but... Uh... You heard it here first. Non-answer. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. It's, it's going to be a while until we show yeah. anything. But uh, um, I think that's, you... that's, the, that's the luxury that we've earned with the Unravel games, that we can 100%. take our time. Are you, are you guys looking to, I guess that sort of answers the question. So you heard it here. There's a game that will come out eventually when the text's right and the story's right and everything else is right. So if you're looking, are they working on something? The answer is yes, they are. Um, <laughs> and then now uh, just a, a finalizing question that I love to ask everyone. Actually did not send this to you prior. Um, what is one novel, story, poem, cartoon, comic, et cetera, that you loved, that you would love to see adapted or made into a video game. So we've had uh, like Ed, Ed and Eddie. We've had uh, a couple of animes. We've had a couple of different answers. What's it for you? Based on visuals alone, I would say Coraline. Oh, very nice. But yeah, there's a lot. But but yeah, that, that was the first one. Coraline comes to mind. I'm a huge uh, Nightmare Before Christmas fan and stop motion fan. So if you have not seen that movie, go check it out. It's wonderful. It did not get the praise it deserved uh, on a wider realm. Um, great answer. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like what that's I, I, one of the reasons I loved Unravel so much. I, I love stop motion. And there was something very stop motion-esque about the dissonance between the little Yarny character and the slight background difference. So it looked mm. like those stop motion characters moving around. The same way I saw those pictures that you took of the Yarnies in the woods going around everywhere. I'm like, who made a Yarnie and took all these pictures? And then I was watching one of your old uh, interviews and I saw that. Um, and just one more thing. Was the title Unravel inspired by a Bjork song? Yes, nice. absolutely. absolutely. Uh, th it was... Um... Yeah, I, I've told that story a million times. So, but it was exactly uh, a story that, that you haven't told. What a story that you haven't told a million times, and that I actually <laughs> wanted to ask first and didn't and should have. Can you explain the hand tattoo? Because I saw it in the interviews, and I was so curious. Uh, the hand tattoo. Uh, yes, it's um, when I was uh, eighteen. I was sharing a flat with some friends. And uh, I was the, the skinny vegan kid uh, who was into punk rock and, and straight edge, drug-free, uh, all that stuff. And all of the others were um, long-haired metal dudes who were into devil worship <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and one of them had tattooed cool bones on his hand. And he was just basically teasing me about it, said, you could never do it because oh, now you can handle it. It just hurts too much. 
<laughs> uh, so it's like male bravado. And but it looks awesome. Like it's not that bad, really. But then I didn't want to do something that was sort of in their type of aesthetic. I was something more in my type of aesthetic, and my, I might have had a minor crush on Madonna as well. So. <laughs> but yeah, hey, hey, it looks awesome, and so I did I, it because someone said that I couldn't. So <laughs> next time, someone. So I bet you won't tell me about Unravel Three, <laughs> but. Uh, Jokes aside, uh, that's awesome. That's hilarious. I actually meant to start that from the beginning because I kept seeing it in the interviews. I'm like, why is no one asking this question? It looks really cool. I guess you're not supposed to ask the tattoo questions of like, what does it mean? But it was actually kind of fun because it was one of those things where you just roll with it. Because the guy that I went to was this like old biker guy, and I'm not sure he was sober at the time. So I kind of explained to him what I wanted and then we just started and I didn't have any idea what it was going to turn out like so it was just like I was looking as he was working and say okay yeah so that's that's how it's <laughs> going to be. be permanent this is going to be permanent. <laughs> well have you ever looked down at it and every time you look at it you remember the story and you're like ah or does it sort of just sort of it's just there at this point uh it's it's mostly just there but it also i like i i li i like it it feels like um feels like a spell in a way it does it it, ha it has as i say it, you look like the uh a god of war character like if you haven't played the new one just <laughs> saw the tattoos on the hands i'm like ah oh, it's interesting nordic but um that 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 would be all um thank you very much for coming thank you for taking the time I had a great conversation. I hope you did as well. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Um, and then uh, I hope uh, we can get you back again in the future when you do or don't release anything that you <laughs> are or are not working on. But uh, anyway, we'll see. thank you again. Uh, and uh, hopefully we have you back on the show in the future. Cool. Thank you. No problem. And